The following audio is from a sermon series entitled King Jesus, studying the life and work of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 4, 1 through 20. And again, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil and the ones who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we have the joy of studying one of Jesus' most famous parables. We are working our way verse by verse through the book of Mark. We've been here now, I don't even know how many weeks, 10 or 12 weeks or so. We are in the fourth chapter, so if you've got your Bible, uh, open up to Mark chapter 4. This parable goes by many different names. You've probably heard it as the parable of the sower, or the parable of the seed, or the parable of the four soils, or the parable of the miracle harvest. It's got a lot of different names, okay? This is the longest of Jesus' parables in Mark, and it's not going to be easy to work our way through it. The only thing that's going to help us out is I'm going to let you know I'm not going to go typically as I go verse by verse through this. I'm not really going to do that this morning because it's so long and because uniquely Jesus kind of tells the story, then he pulls his disciples away into his missional community, then he explains the story. Most of the time, Jesus just tells the story and he's like, go figure it out. But this time, people come to him and they're like, what, what does that mean, right? What does it mean, Jesus? And Jesus explains it to him. So uh, I'm not going to preach how I normally preach through this, but we're, gonna, we're, gonna work our, we're still going to work our way through it. So, but before we jump in, I want to give us a brief overview of what a parable is, okay? A parable is a story that has an intended meaning, okay? It's got a purpose behind it. It's got an intended meaning that's in it that needs to be pulled out. You don't apply a meaning to it. It's got one already down inside it. It's kind of an expanded illustration or allegory. See, stories are interesting. They suck us into a different world. They teach us about that world. They explain its people and its places. And what good stories do is then they what? They move our emotions and our hearts, right? They, they compel us. And if they're good, they're a good story, they send us back out into our world with a new way of seeing. Stories help us interpret the world that we live in. Stories have a way of teaching us things. They have a way of sticking with us in ways that mere instruction does not. Flannery O'Connor says, a story is a way to say something that cannot be said any other way. And it takes every word of the story to say what that means. We are a people who are profoundly and influenced 
by stories. The stories we share and the stories that we love the most help make sense of the world that we live in. This is the pull of a good book or a good movie. They help us make sense of our feelings in ways that other forms of learning don't. And for Jesus, his favorite way of teaching was through telling these stories that have intent, these parables. Jesus was the master storyteller, and nothing is more attractive to us as a human being than a good story. I think this week I was uh, reading again. I got sucked back into Lord of the Rings. I think it's, I don't know how many times I've read it. I, I think it's, I'm, I pick it up bits and pieces and read it all the time, but I think this is probably, the, I think this is the third time I've tried to read it all the way through. And I'm just, I sit down in it, and a good book, see, here's, a, here's how you know you're reading an average book or a bad book. You can't wait to get done, right? You can't wait to get done. Oh, I finished that, I'm done. A good book, you're in it, and you, you just enjoy being a part of it, and you are actually kind of disappointed when it comes to the end. You, sometimes you like the world of the book better than you like your own circumstances. You, you want to be a part of that book. That's how you know you're reading a good story. But what's interesting with a good story is that any good book or any good story, some people get it and some people don't. Some people pick up the details and they pick up the nuance and their emotions are moved and they find it really fascinating and then you, you, you say, you, you tell your friends, you should read this book, you should read this story, you should watch this movie and then they rent it or they watch it or they read it and then you go up to them the next time and you're like, how was it? Did you like it? Yeah, it was all right. You know, I couldn't get past the third chapter. And you're like, what? You didn't see this? You could, how, how what do you mean you couldn't get past the third chapter? What's wrong with you? This is phenomenal, right? That stories have this way of kind of moving some hearts, softening some hearts, and at the same time, hardening others. Ugh, I don't like it. Like, if you, go, if you go to Goodreads and you look at any book that's out there, let's just take Lord of the Rings, you're going to see a ton of five stars, but you're, then you're going to have these one-star people. I hope you're not one of those one-star people, okay? These people, I just didn't get it. There's, I read one review. There's songs in this book. Why are there songs in the book? Like, they just don't get it. The stories have this way of kind of pulling us in and sucking us in, but they also have a way. Stories also have a way of dividing people. They pull some people in and they push people out. And it was no different with Jesus' stories. It's been said that Jesus' parables were both works of art they're works of art because they've been passed down through the centuries that they're, they're, they're sti- they still remain as some of the most poignant and powerful stories with morals with them that have ever been told. So they're both art and they're weapons. They display the beauty and the intrigue of the kingdom of God, but then they also cut those who oppose Jesus to shreds. They wound They enlighten some and they blind others. They help some people hear the truth of the gospel and to others they actually prevent them from hearing and receiving forgiveness. This is exactly what Jesus says in verses 11 and 12 when he quotes from Isaiah 6. That indeed they see but they don't perceive. They may indeed hear but they don't understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And what we need to know this morning before we jump into this story of Jesus is that how we hear this morning, how we hear and how we respond to this story will determine the course of our life. That's a big statement for me to say. How we hear, how we receive, how we listen will determine the course of our life. I read a sermon on this text by Tim Keller a couple years ago, and it was, it's just been seared into my mind. Um, as I was studying, I was reading commentaries and putting things together, I just couldn't get Keller's sermon out of my mind this week. So a lot of the details, the nuance of what I'm going to say is going to be built off of that. It's going to be really influenced by him. Now, if we read through this section, and this is actually a whole chapter of parables. We really haven't heard much of Jesus' teaching up until this moment. It's been all about what Jesus is doing and who Jesus is. But now this whole fourth chapter is his parables, his stories. And what we're going to see 10 times in this chapter, Jesus says something about hearing 
and listening. The parable begins, if you look in verse 3, the parable begins with listen, right? Behold, and then it ends with to, who, who ha, to him who has ears, let him hear. And Jesus, what he's doing, he's not just talking about listening. Everyone was listening. He was g- drawing great crowds and everybody was blown away by his teaching. When Jesus says, listen up and hear, what he means is pay attention. Take heed. You must be engaged. Let me, I'm going to say that to you this morning. This isn't just something that you, you just sit down and it happens to you. You must listen. You must take in his words. You must be engaged. It takes the full use of your mental faculties to comprehend what God is saying in this story. So take heed, listen. You must receive this story into you. You must wrestle with it and respond to it. This story demands meditation and reflection. Everyone needs to think long and hard about what Jesus is going to tell us today. So what is it about? Why should you listen? Here's my three points, basically. My three my outline to say. The story is about how God changes people. The story is about who God changes. And the story is about what happens to people that God has changed, okay? So how God changes people, who God changes, and what happens to people whom God has changed. It's a great story. First off, let's go. How does God change people? How does God change people? We all want to change, don't we? If you look at your life, if you take inventory, right? Aren't there some things that are in your heart right now that are in your life, that are in your personality that you desperately desire to change? Don't you have some things in your life right now that just continue to frustrate you and they continue to frustrate your spouse or your friends Oh, your, or your co-workers, or your boss. You consistently get brought in bef- into the office and say, you know, your mouth is a little out of control. Your personality is a little, you've got to sand off some of these rough edges, or, or you're just too sheepish. We need you to step up and take some initiative and, and lead. I know I do. I've got these things that bug me family life, frustration, not being able to control things, right? Nothing, you know, nothing makes you feel more out of control than having four kids. (laughs) Well, I've got good news for us this morning. This story that Jesus tells is all about how God changes people. Now listen, into the best possible version of themselves. This story, see, so many times when we say, God's going to make you look like Jesus, that really, we, we don't connect with that. Because we think, Jesus? I, he's so perfect, how could I ever look like Jesus? What does that even mean? I'm going to start preaching and, you know, performing miracles, walking on water, wearing sandals? What does that mean? I'm going to look more like Jesus. Looking more like Jesus would look, who would Jesus look like or what would Jesus look like if Jesus were you? See, that's what I mean. Becoming the best version of ourself. This story shows us the key to real permanent life change, real change and real lasting change. Let's take a look. Jesus tells us this story this morning about a sower. What is a sower? A man with a seed bag tied around his waist, walking through a field, spreading seeds. Okay, he's got a seed bag around his waist. He's walking through a seed. He dips his hand in the seed bag and he throws it liberally wherever it goes. He throws it on the ground. And the seed, it tells us right away in verse 14. We don't have to go in there and kind of think, what is the seed? What does it mean? It tells us in verse 14. The seed is the word of of God. What is the word of God? Jesus already taught us this. He came proclaiming the gospel, right? The kingdom of God is near. The gospel is at hand. Turn and believe the gospel. The The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to the earth 
to accomplish. So Jesus says right away, the gospel is the seed. Now, think about that. Why would Jesus equate the gospel to a seed? Jesus is saying that the gospel produces change in a person's life in the same way that a seed produces change. It's going to require us. Again, listen, take heed, meditate on this, bring it in, let's think about it. One, did you know a seed has information? A seed basically is information. A seed is unique. Inside that little seed, the entire plant exists. The seed carries a complete blueprint of the organism. All of the information that is needed to transfer all of its characteristics from one generation to the next is inside that little seed. So in a corn seed, right, a corn seed carries all of the information of that corn plant. And then what? It produces like its kind, right? It produces after its kind. So a seed, first off, we need to know the gospel is like a seed because a seed carries information. Jesus says the seed is the word of God. The word of God is information. There's content to it. It's the good news. It's not whatever we want it to be. It's not whatever we think it is. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ was the son of God. And he left heaven and he came to this earth to change all of creation, this broken creation, into heaven. And Jesus did that by living a perfect life that pleased God. And then instead of just leaving the earth in success and glory after a life well lived, Jesus did the unthinkable. He showed us how to live, but then he took the wrath of God for us on the cross and took the punishment that we all deserve for our rebellion from God. See, this is the information that we have to know if we're going to understand the gospel. The seed of the gospel comes with information that we must possess. We must own it. We must think about it. We must meditate it. We got to go over and over and think about the gospel content. Okay, but thankfully, a seed is more than just information. A seed also has life-changing power in it. When we take a little brown seed and we drop it into the earth, a miracle takes place. That little brown seed changes into this beautiful living organism, right? Green and vibrant and beautiful. It grows and changes. When my daughter plants her Easter eggs in the backyard, right? They could have information in them. They might have, some of them have money in them. That's why we do things at my Easter sometimes, right? Put a little money in there. Some of them have money. Some of them have information, but she buries them in the grass or she just doesn't find them, right? And no matter if she waters them, the rain will come and water them. They might get a little miracle grow sprinkled on them, right? True green will come get rid of all the weeds around them. But no matter what, those eggs aren't going to grow, right? There's nothing that's going to happen to those because they can't produce life. There is no power in them. When Jesus says the gospel is a seed, he's saying when it comes into you, it will produce life because there's power there. It will change you because there's power present in the seed. The gospel seed will grow in you and it will change you. The gospel, once received, it will make you into a different type of person, a better version of yourself. From the very first day you receive it, you're going to be, begin to look more and more and more like Jesus if he were you. You're going to be more and more and more, you're going to be made into the best version of yourself. You will be more humble. Have you ever met a humble person? If you did, I think it was Lewis, C.S. Lewis who said, if you did, you wouldn't even know it. Because if you meet a humble person, they're just interested in you. They just ask you questions, how are you? How? And they don't really say anything about themselves. See, if you've received the gospel, and if it's gone down in, in you, it's going to start making you into a more humble person. Why? Because you won't look down on others. Because 
you know that you are a sinner just like they are. And your only hope is their only hope as well. That Jesus loves sinners and Jesus gives grace to sinners through the gospel seed. But at the same time, a friend of mine, actually, actually, I'll just say, you know, Casey and I were talking, one of our elders here, and he says, you know, a lot of times I can convince myself that to be humble means just to be quiet. I'm just going to be quiet. I don't need to talk. I don't need to, right? And you just kind of sit back and just let other people talk and, and you just kind of like, man, in your head you're going, oh, jeez. If these people were more humble, Right? And that's a natural position of our heart because at the same time it makes us more humble. This is what the gospel also does. It also frees us to be far more confident than we ever were before. It's producing us this ability to speak up and kind of speak what's on our mind and speak what's on our heart and share our thoughts because we don't, we're not afraid what others are going to say about us. We're not afraid that people are going to rebuke us or say you look stupid or, or that sounds sinful because if they do, we go, Okay, it might be sinful because I'm a sinful person. So at the same time, it produces this humility, but it also produces this confidence that now I'm a hundred times more bold in sharing the gospel with my friends and family because I recognize that it's not dependent upon my perfection that I can be a sinner and I can make mistakes and I can misspeak and the grace of God covers that. Now, is that kind of growth happening in you? Are you at the same time being made more humble and being made more bold. That's what the gospel does. That's evidence that you've been changed by God through the implanted seed of the gospel. Romans 1.16 just tells us this very clearly, and it says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone believe. Hear that. The gospel is the power. Okay? The gospel is the power. It does the work. It produces change. Jesus is here making a clear distinction between the way human beings naturally try to change themselves and the way God tries to change people or the way God does change people. What do I mean by that? Jesus changes people. He changes us from the inside out. People change themselves or try to from the outside in. Outside in change, we say around here, outside in change is called religion. Its basic premise is this. I obey, I perform, I do good, therefore God accepts me and now he owes me a good life. Because I'm obeyed and I've shaped up and I've got my act together and I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Now God deserves to bless me. He deserves to bless my marriage and bless my kids and give me a good job. And because I've done this, all right, God, now you do that. We could shake our fist. Remember when I prayed over that? Remember when I gave? Remember when I did this? See, that's outside in change. But the gospel is God accepts me through the radical grace of Jesus, the one-way love of Jesus. Therefore, now, because God has already accepted me and already forgiven me and already given me new life, therefore, now I want to obey. It changes my motivation, the motivational structure of my heart. I don't obey to get God's pleasure. I obey because I have God's pleasure through Jesus. Listen to how Pastor Tim Keller from New York City describes the difference. Listen to this. Religion and the gospel will both produce change. Will they not? Oh, absolutely. But one will produce mechanically and one organically. For example, what do I mean by mechanically? Imagine there's a pile of bricks here. Can we grow that pile of bricks? Sure, just throw more bricks on it. Grow, grow, grow. But is that organic growth? No. Religion will change you mechanically. You have many things to do and you have many things to learn. Doctrines to learn and classes to go to and busyness and activities and performances and observances and all sorts of things. It grows, but it's mechanical growth. Listen to the gospel. The gospel is organic growth. It's, it, it, organic growth is not like a pile of bricks grows through more bricks on it. Organic growth is like a bulb going into a tulip, growing into a tulip. 
It's organic. It's from the inside out. It's an organism becoming more and more complex and rich and more beautiful. The way you know you have organic growth is you're not just getting busier. Instead, you're getting wiser and richer and deeper. Has that happened to you? See, religion changes us mechanically. It's from the outside in. I need to stop that. I need to be more patient. I need to be more loving to my wife. Make myself. It goes, it applies the pressure to my will. You should be a better man, Justin. Shape up or ship out. Don't you know that's not loving? Don't you know that's not kind? Don't you know? And it, what's it do? It stirs up my guilt. It stirs up my fear. People won't accept you. They won't think you're a good pastor if you say that or if you do that. It goes to my fear. It stirs up the fears in my heart, right? It, it kind of jury rigs my heart to get me from the outside in to change. But the gospel is different. The gospel is a power that comes into you and produces change organically. Can I ask you this morning, has the gospel, has it, has it came down inside of you? Is it alive and active or is it still just information? So many people, when you say, what's the gospel? Jesus died on the cross. That's information. And that's true information and that's good information. But the gospel is more than just Jesus died on the cross. The gospel is the power of God that comes into us and is at work inside of us, changing us into the best version of ourselves. What would Jesus look like if Jesus was us. So, God changes people by dropping the gospel seed into their heart. He changes them from the inside out through his own power. But that's going to lead us to the second question. Who does God change? If you're reading this story, what's fascinating to me in this story is three out of the four soils get changed by the seed. Three out of the four soils actually get changed by the seed, but only one gets permanent change. Three out of the four soils get changed, but only one gets permanent life change. They look different. They're changed completely from the inside out. All of these soils, Jesus tells us, represent people. So in Jesus' story here, three out of four people miss out on the permanent life change that God offers them. Why? What's the problem with people? Everybody's hearing Jesus' story. Everybody's hearing this parable, this story with intent, and three out of four people take it in and they get a little bit of change, but then they don't get permanent life change. Why not? What we learn from this story is the problem is never the seed. The problem's not the gospel. The seed is the same in all four situations. What's different is the soil. In the three soils that don't produce permanent change, the first two are because of a lack of depth. The third is the lack of space. Okay? Three soils don't produce light, lasting change. Hear me. The first two are a lack of depth. The seed can't get deep enough. The third one is a lack of width, busyness and such. I think this is a problem that the evangelical church in America needs to address. They're forgetting this parable. The gospel has to be brought in deep. Okay? The time of the Billy Graham crusades, though they were great in their time, arguably, right? The, that spreading seed liberally. Jesus says when you spread seed liberally, only one out of four people are actually take. I mean, and that's not just, we're not to take that mathematically, right? But in his story, only one or four, the seed's actually getting deep enough to do change. Many people profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? But I'm going to tell you, you have to possess the faith that you profess. The seed has got to be deep in you to do any change, to do any life change, lasting life change. The church in America today has a depth problem. We need to go deeper. We need to meditate and think deeply. We need to take the word deep inside of our hearts and let it change us. 
And then thirdly, it's a space problem. The seed goes in at the same level of all these weeds and roots and, other, and thorns. Oh, we'll get to that in a minute. Think about what God's doing here. I, if you just meditate on this, why would God use something so weak as an example of the word of God? There's other places where God uses different illustrations for the word of God, but here Jesus uses the word of God, the gospel. He uses the illustration of a seed. Think about this. You drop a seed on this floor, the, the first soil right here. Take a seed and you drop it on this floor right here. Right? That seed produces no harvest. The word of God, the gospel, the seed can't penetrate it. And the secret of the seed is it's got to go deep to do its work. The gospel can't produce life change on the surface. It's got to go in deep. The second soil, the seed doesn't go in deep enough. It, it goes in just barely. And what does it say? It, the roots can't find it. They can't go deep and it gets scorched by the sun and it produces no fruit. And then the third soil, it goes in deep enough, but it goes in right alongside thorns and the thorns choke it out. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying the gospel is absolutely life-changing, powerful. It's more powerful than we could ever imagine, but its power isn't like an atom bomb. Right? I heard Tim Keller say, nobody drops a seed and go, bombs away. Right? It doesn't come, boom, and just change everything like an atom bomb. A seed is so weak and so gentle, you don't even know where it goes. You drop it, you can't find it. It just... And if it hits something like this, if it hits hard path or hard ground, it just doesn't produce. See, if we think God changes people like an atom bomb, he just drops them on, that's outside-in change. At... We don't need to do anything. We don't need to respond. It just God just takes care of everything. The gospel is different. The gospel has to be taken in deep. Has to be brought in deep in order for the power to go off. The gospel has to get through our layers get through the hardness of our heart. It's got to get in deep before that power can go off. It's got to reach soft ground in order for it to really take root and change a person from the inside out. See, gospel change. Listen, people can go to church and, cha- and, get, and change, okay? They can come and they can get around but good, moral people and they can tell themselves, I don't want to be who I used to be anymore. I want to be more like this person. So I'm just going to change myself to be like this person, okay? And outwardly, they could look the part. They could look more Christian. They could look more moral. But they can do nothing to change their inner motivation of their heart. Inside, they're still going to be jealous. Inside, they're still going to be envious. Inside, they're still going to feel broken and have a bad self-image and they're not going to feel loved and accepted. They're not going to have confidence. You can change yourself from the outside in, but you can't change yourself from the inside out. But the gospel, God actually changes us from the inside out. So I become more loving on the inside and then my outside changes. I become more humble and confident and bold on the inside and then I can actually display that on the outside. In the gospel, when it comes down deep in us and we think about it and we meditate on it and we study it and we go to missional community where people can remind us of it, right? We're thinking about the implications of the gospel. When it goes in deep like that and it takes root, listen to me, growth happens automatically. You don't even know it. You, you, you don't even, you can't, it's like your kid, how your, your kids grow and you, they walk into the room and all of a sudden their pants are two inches too short. And you're like, what? You've been going to school like that? You, what happened? You don't know when they changed. You don't know when they grew. It's just organic change. It's naturally happening. You, they might not even recognize it themselves. And I love this because my son never, he doesn't recognize it himself that he's growing. But, but we recognize it. 
See, when you, know, when you know you're changing through the power of the gospel, when you're not trying to apply all this outside pressure and make yourself feel guilty to change or m- measure up to somebody else, God's doing it, but then all of a sudden your spouse says, it's been a long time since you've blown up at the kids. Or it's been a long time since I've you know, seen you get depressed and then need to go shopping. All right? Like... Other people notice this change before you do. Now, let me illustrate this a little bit. I'm reading a book right now before bed uh, each night that Amanda bought me a few years ago. It's called From Homer, not Simpson, From Homer to Harry Potter. It's a handbook on myth and fantasy. It's written by Matthew Dickerson. Um, For most of you who have been around here for a while, it's no surprise that I love fantasy. I love Lord of the Rings. I love Narnia. I love Harry Potter. Uh, And one of the things I like to do as I read these good stories, these fantasy stories, is I look uh, for allegories, all right? I look for types and Christian themes that run through them. I think to myself, I, I read this, and I, like last night I'm reading, and I'm reading about Aragorn, who, who's this, this king who's like hidden in peasant wardrobe, and he's kind of like this unrecognizable figure, but he's going to come back and he's going to, the sword that was broken has been remade and he's going to take up, he's going to be the king and the whole third book is the return of the king and I think, oh man, that looks like Jesus to me. Comes hidden, there's a hiddenness about him, but then he gets revealed and the king is on his throne. Oh, Tolkien must have been a genius to think about this. He must have been just brilliant how he wrote in Aragorn as a type of Christ. This is so cool. Now, obviously, when I'm doing that, I'm assuming that Tolkien sought out to write an allegory of the Christian life. Like he thinks, okay, how can I tell the gospel in this story about Middle Earth? But then a few nights ago, I read this from Tolkien in that that book on allegory. He says this. This is what J.R. Tolkien says about his own work. As for any inner meaning or message, it has in the intent of the author none. It is neither allegorical or topical. I cordially dislike allegory in all its manifestations and always have done so since I grew old and wary enough to detect his presence, its presence. What's Tolkien saying? I did not set out to depict a story or to write a story that depicted Jesus or the gospel. I wasn't trying to write an allegory of the gospel or the story of redemption. But this is what's so cool about the gospel. See, when the gospel goes down deep in a person, and J.R. Tolkien was a Christian, he was the man who, who shared the faith with C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis became a Christian. When the gospel goes down deep in a person, it changes us so organically that it changes the way we see the world. It changes us from the inside out. And now, when we set out to write a good story or compose a good song or make a good movie or build a good house or close a good deal or start a good business, we do so in a way that's profoundly shaped by the gospel because the gospel has changed us from the inside out. So when Tolkien goes to write a good story, he can't help but write in virtue. He can't help but write in redemption. He can't help but write in darkness and perilousness. And, but out of that comes the sun. Out of that, I love Tolkien's imagery of everything dark and then the sunrise comes. He can't help but write it because it's in his bones. It's in his DNA. It's been pushed down in him and it's changed him from the inside out. A a Christian could never write a postmodern novel where everything ends badly. They all died, went off into nothingness. They can't because we have the gospel story. No matter how dark it gets, redemption is here restoration and renewal is on its way because of the work of Christ. This is how God changes us from the inside out. So who does God change? It's very clear in this text who God changes. God changes those who hear the gospel and take it into themselves and let it go down deep. Again, what is the gospel? I am far worse than I ever imagined My sin goes deeper. It's a rabbit hole that goes far deeper than I ever thought possible. My sin is that dark that it keeps me from God. It cuts me off from God. But at the same time, I am more loved and more accepted in Christ than I could ever dream about. Jesus has purchased me. He laid his life down for me. 
And that reality, that information, that truth has to go down deep into our core and change us from the inside out. We're talking about gospel penetration, the gospel going deep in a person's life. Can I ask you? We measure ourselves by how often we go to church. We measure ourselves by how often we cuss. We measure ourselves by how often we did that last sin. Can I ask you this? How deep has the gospel seed gone in your heart? We're going to take a closer look here at the four soils. I want you to go to uh, verse 15. And these are the ones along the path. So first off, let me just say this. These soils represent four types of people. And I, like I said, Jesus' stories are both art and weapons. He tells this story. This is the, everybody knows, I think everybody knows Jesus was humble, okay? A bruised reed he would not break, it says, okay? Let the children come unto me. They, the children love and sit on his lap. Jesus was a gentle, humble man at all times, but je, he wasn't a pushover. We think gentle, we think Mr. Rogers. He wasn't like that. He could confidently tell a story right now about four types of people and all four types of those people were present with him listening. He was not concerned necessarily about offending their sensibilities. He tells a story in front of a crowd that's full of these four types of people and I'm praying that God would give you the eyes to see this morning what soil are you? What soil represents the state of your heart currently? Let's look at it. Verse 15. This is the hard soil. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, see, they still hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. What's he saying? Now listen, this isn't like, he's telling a story, but he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. This is what we've been seeing them, they've been doing over and over. Listen, they hear the gospel, but the words of the gospel bounce off of them like a ping pong ball off a statue. And, God, and Jesus says, the seed produces no results. It produces no change off of people like that because it bounces right off of them. The seed has to have penetration in order to change people. They remain unchanged. The religious leaders of the day, the most religious of these people, remain unchanged. Secondly, verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. Okay, do you see that right now? Gospel is proclaimed. Christ and his kingdom and his resurrection. And immediately what do they do? Yes, they receive it. They accept Christ's message in a sense. They bring it in immediately. But then what happens? Verse 17, and they have no root in themselves. The word doesn't go deep enough. The gospel hasn't gone deep enough, but they endure for a while. But then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, on account of the gospel, immediately they fall away. What's he saying? These are people who have shallow hearts. This is the crowds. They come to Jesus and they say, another miracle, please. We want to see you do something cool again. And then they turn and they go home. They hear Jesus' words and they like them at first, but then when trouble and persecution comes, when their life gets difficult, when things don't go the way they thought they should, they bail. They stop following Jesus and they go back to life as usual. And it, this is so shocking to us. And I think it's a rebuke to the type of ministry that's all about altar calls and all about people making decisions right now. Because these people made a decision right now and they received it with joy and they danced in the aisles and they're happy and then they went home unchanged because the gospel didn't go deep into their heart. Didn't penetrate them. And Jesus says they fall away and perish. He's clear about that. They fall away. They leave unchanged. The gospel doesn't go in. They don't get eternal life. 
Then third, the thorny soil, verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word, okay, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The thorny soil are those who have a divided heart. They have a crowded heart. The gospel's gone in and the gospel's gone in deep enough, but right alongside the gospel goes the gospel of materialism. I need more money to feel secure. I trust Christ, but I trust money at the same level. I trust Christ, but I need the approval of others. And that's at the same level in my heart. This is Jesus' own family. They hear Jesus' words, but they're ashamed of him. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. Jesus, they're trying to save face, and they're more interested in moving up the social ladder and what other people will think about them and think about Jesus than they are about him and his kingdom. They want to stay respectable in the eyes of other people. So the gospel produces no fruit in their life and they perish. This is the person who cares more or as much about their 401k as they do about the gospel moving forward in the mission of Jesus in the Quad Cities. They care more about their personal success than they do their own discipleship. If you look at their library, they read how to be successful and how, everything's about managing their money and everything's about success and everything's about building influence and everything's about making their own life more successful to the, outside, to the people outside looking in and they don't spend that time studying the word. Not that all those books are bad, but if, it go, if, if you're thinking about your own personal success at the same level and the same amount you're thinking about the gospel, something's wrong. And your heart will produce a soil, will will be a soil like this, crowded by the deceitfulnesses of riches and the cares of this world. And it chokes out the gospel. Chokes out the gospel. Why didn't Jesus say the gospel was an atom bomb? It'll destroy everything in its way. More powerful than anything else. It'll just carpet bomb everything in your life. No, he says it's a seed. And it's got to be worked down deep to produce the life change. Now, this is, this is Jesus here. And let's not miss the fact, the obvious fact that he's saying in this parable, 75% of the people who hear the gospel produce no lasting fruit and perish. That's scary. Jesus wasn't joking when he said the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. But thankfully, Jesus' story, like all good stories, it gets really dark. There is a turn, there is a fall in every good story. But thankfully, in the really good stories, there's not just a fall, there's not just things get dark and look like there's no hope, but there's actually redemption and hope does come. And that's what we see in the fourth soil. What happens in the fourth soil? The people take in the gospel seed and that seed bears fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, they produce fruit. This is the fruitful life. This is our modern day agricultural systems can't even produce this type of harvest. This is a supernatural harvest, a hundredfold harvest. And this is the power. Think about this. This is the power of organic change. You know what I was thinking this week? What's so crazy is you, if you take a seed and first off, inside that seed, one corn seed, right? Inside that corn seed is enough potential to cover the whole United States with corn. Inside that one seed, because you plant it, and out of it comes a corn stalk, and then you you can take more seed, and then you plant more, and then more. In that one seed, an an atom bomb doesn't do that. An atom bomb, you got one chance, right? But in a seed, the potential for growth is phenomenal, 
right? In the one little weak seed. But here's what's also interesting. Uh, I came across a stat this week that uh, California has, has spent over $70 million in the history of the state on repairing roads uh, damaged by their redwoods. Think about that. You drop a seed on a road, that seed gets smashed, ran over, nothing happens. But if that seed gets off that path onto the side of that road and that tree begins to take root, then what happens? Those roots begin to move out. And then what's more powerful, asphalt or organic change? Organic change every time. Every single time, it can lift the sidewalk, 1,000-pound sidewalks. It can lift them up and break them and move them that the power of organic change is so unlike outside-in change. It's so unlike religion change that it can change us from the inside and lift off the things on our hearts, lift off the bondages, lift off the fear, lift off all these negative things that get in our heart. Now, Three soils are bad. One soil is good. Let's just ask the question here. What, what makes the good soil good? Because if you're in here today and you think I'm talking about you, <laughs> here, here's me. That's my heart. Mama always told me I was a good boy. I believe it. What makes the good soil good? Why do... This soil, why did their lives abound with such amazing gospel fruit 30, 60, 100 times? Jesus says because they're the good soil. Well, in the first three soils, it represented a person's heart and how they received the word of God. Is Jesus here saying some people have good hearts and some people have bad hearts? Who's got good hearts? Hopefully me and my kids, right? Who's got good hearts? Now, this is religion. Religion draws a line and says there's some people who have good hearts and there's some people who have bad hearts. Is that what Jesus is saying? Listen to theologian R.C. Sproul as he comments on this. This question drives us back to one of the basic questions with which we wrestle with in theology. Why does one person receive the word of God in his heart while the other person rejects it? The majority view is that it is because there's something more good or righteous in the person who receives it. Some people think they're Christians because of their own will, they made the right decision. They embraced Christ, whereas their friends hardened their hearts and did not use their will to accept the gospel. Those people, therefore, have something of which to boast eternally, so it makes them more proud. They say yes to the gospel offer of salvation. However, Jesus clearly says, listen, the words of Jesus, unless one is born again, no one can see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He also told his disciples, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. The Apostle Paul, we said it today, also says, you, he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. By grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, Ephesians 2. The good soil, listen, here it is. The good soil is good because of the supernatural work on the soul by God, the Holy Spirit. The good soil is made good because the Holy Spirit has come into it and tilled the ground of the heart, preparing it for the seed. Every single one of us in some time in our life had a hard heart like the first soil. And the Spirit comes into us before we do anything, before we choose Him, and He tills up the ground to prepare our hearts to receive the implanted Word of God. So the good soil is good because God has already been at work in it. So then you might ask, this is what a lot of people ask, so I guess we don't have to do anything then. If the Holy Spirit comes in and just overturns my will and just flips me around and he gets my heart already, I'll just sit back like some good soil and wait for the seed. Not exactly. Jesus is telling us we must 
receive the word. We must listen. We must take it in and meditate on it and work it down deeper into the dark places of our heart that is so resistant to change. The places we don't want the word to go is the places the word needs to go. I love how Charles Spurgeon responded when someone asked him, how do you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? That divine sovereignty, God is sovereign, he moves where he wills, he does what he wants, he's in heaven, he does all that he pleases, he can open our hearts, and then human responsibility, we must respond, we must choose God, we must accept him. They said, how do you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? He said, I try never to reconcile friends. What's he saying? God doesn't just overtake our will and bend us, he frees our will, He frees it. He takes the chains off so that we can choose him now, so that we can accept him now, so that we can take the gospel down deep into our hearts and think about it and meditate on it and receive it deeply. Who is the good soil? Look at verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. Okay, all four soils have heard the word. And accept it. Accept it. What does that mean? This is discipleship. There's a sense in which taking the gospel in and working it down deep, this could be called sanctification. This could be called the process of discipleship, meditating on it, thinking it, pushing it down in us. Did you know that the word Christian, I think I mentioned this last week, the word Christian is used three times in the Bible. The word disciple, 268 And many times in our society, when people give those altar calls, they're saying, come be a Christian, come be a Christian, come be a Christian. And the the concept, the theology that's underneath that is just accept him and then go and do life however you want to do it. But that's not the picture of Jesus. That's not salvation by Jesus. That's not entering the kingdom by Jesus. That's not the process of discipleship. He's saying, hear the word, accept it, and follow me. This is the life of a Christian, it's the life of discipleship. This is why we go to missional community. We need other people helping us press this gospel down. This is why we pray. This is why we study the Bible. This is why we read gospel-centered books, to get that gospel down into the deep, dark recesses of our soul so that the change can organically take place. And then what happens? This is, this is the life that produces 30, 60, 100 fold. What does that mean? Fruitfulness. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, abundance in the fruit of the Spirit, patience, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self control, over in abundance. What does it mean? It means making disciples. That's fruitfulness. It means writing good stories. That's fruitfulness. Writing good songs to the glory of God, that's fruitfulness. Having good kids and we raise up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that's fruitfulness. Who doesn't want a fruitful life? And Jesus says, this is the way to it. Take the gospel into your soul, wrestle with it, understand it, and it produces this kind of supernatural change. Organic change is so powerful that it doesn't matter how hard your heart is right now. Listen to me. Because I don't want us to read these stories and go, my heart's the hard heart. I guess that's, I guess I I, I perish with that. I guess I'll never change. I guess my life, or my life is the third soil. It's just, everything else is just as important to the gospel. My girlfriends, my guy friends, NASCAR, golf, the final four, all these things, they're really, they're at the same level of the gospel in my heart, so I guess I'm just out of luck. Listen, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you're here right now because of divine sovereignty. God brought you here through a million different circumstances and conversations, and some of you, he's brought you to the end of yourself, and he's proved to you over and over and over that you can't do it on your own, and God brought you here to hear the power of the gospel, 
If you take it down into your life, listen, if you take that little bitty, minuscule, stupid-looking seed, the gospel, the Son of God died for me. That seems foolish. You take that little foolish seed and you drop it into a good heart or a soil that's been changed by the Holy Spirit and it produces change. And just like those redwoods in California, no matter what kind of concrete is over your heart, he can move it and he can change it. And he does it a little bit at a time and you don't even recognize it. This is the good news of the gospel. God is here. The spirit is here. The gospel's being proclaimed. Your heart is being changed. Receive it. And no matter what is on top of your heart, God can lift it off. No matter what is blocking you, the gospel can move it. No matter how many times you failed, no matter how depressed you are, hear our story, the gospel story. Things get really dark in our story. So many people are convinced that being a Christian is all about heavenly lights and tulips and everything going well. No, 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 no. Our story has Jesus on Friday dead and crucified with no hope. When the movie gets dark and everything gets scary, that's our story. But our story doesn't end there. Our story doesn't end with depression and end with darkness and end with hopelessness. Our story ends with the Son of God being resurrected, giving all of us hope in the midst of our darkness. Bring the gospel in deep and watch it change you. You say, how do I do this? How do I do that, Justin? You know what today is? Today is Palm Sunday, right? Today is the day that Jesus marched into Jerusalem to become a seed. Scripture says Jesus is the seed that gets placed in the tomb, placed in the ground. And a seed only produces if a seed dies. Christ is the seed that was placed in the earth. He died, and what happened? His resurrection produced a harvest 30, 60, 100-fold. We're here because of that seed. That's why we're here today. This parable, in one sense, has already been proven true. The people of God, the kingdom of God has expanded 30, 60, 100 fold since this day because Christ is the seed. All I'm asking you this morning, take that seed into yourself. Receive it. Work it down in. See how he, the seed, he became a seed for you. He died for you, not for some blank-faced mass of humanity. He died for you individually, specifically, purposefully. Look at Jesus. He's the seed who was killed and put in the ground for you so that you might have life. I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this gospel. Every other religion on the planet goes after our will, goes out after the outward signs of our obedience and our behavior and puts pressure on us from the outside to change. It really, and all they do is add weight upon weight upon weight to us. The pressure to be good enough, the pressure to fit in, the pressure to obey, the pressure to measure up is a pressure that we cannot carry for long. The weight of the shame when we fail the guilt, the fear of not matter, it's too much. It causes much of the depression in our society. Causes much of the fear and stress, heart attacks and strokes in our society. We are a people who are stressed out trying to change ourselves from the outside in. And this good news that your word doesn't change us from the outside in, but it, it somehow can trickle its way down into soft soil and find roots there and grow. And though it starts out so small and so minuscule and so powerless looking, out of that weakness comes great strength. 
The the smallest seed creates this gigantic oak tree or redwood that can move and shift and push things off of our lives in an organic, natural, almost automatic way. And you said, this is the gospel. Father, as the word has went forth today, I pray that you would produce this harvest 30, 60, 100 fold in all of our hearts. That we wouldn't just be more religious and more, we wouldn't just look better on the outside, but you would produce deep heart change that helps us see how much you love us, even though we're sinners, frees us to love others, frees us to lay our lives down for others, not because we have to, because we want to, because Christ did it for us. And Father, as we come this morning and we take the elements of your supper, the bread and the wine, that they too are like seeds. They too go down deep into us and nourish us this food gets broken down and sent to all the cells of our body, that you gave us this bread as your body and this cup as your blood to go into us, to go deep with us, to, as we leave here today, to walk out into the world with us. I pray that we would eat it in faith this morning, take it deep into our hearts, and even this, even the the communion, even the Eucharist would change us from the inside out, would be a sign of how the gospel is at work in our hearts. Father, this is for your glory. This is for your name. We eat it in joy and we eat it in faith. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.